Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 175 with Sarah Canaday. Sarah is talking about blind spots. So you're going to learn one, key blind spots that frequently hold back careers. Two, why the personal touch matters at work. And three, approaches to identifying your own blind spots. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we reference here, you'll find it over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep175. And while at awesomeatyourjob.com, I encourage you to check out our great resources. One of my faves is the Gold Nugget email list. There, we'll send you the key insights from the guest. So if you can't put pen to paper because you're running or you're driving or you're commuting, we'll take those notes for you, send them right to your inbox. Each morning, a new episode comes about. And if you won't remember to go over there, that's all good. You can just text NUG, that's N-U-G, to the number 444-999 and sign up right from your smartphone. That's texting NUG, N-U-G, to 444-999. Now, here's Sarah's story. Sarah Kennedy is a leadership development expert, speaker, and author who is recognized in the world of offering insight in leadership and strategic personal branding. Specifically, she's known for the ability to help high potentials identify the elusive blind spots that are preventing them from taking their careers and their companies to the next level. Here's Sarah. Sarah, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Oh, well, I'm so glad to have you. And I understand that you have a secret desire to be a backup dancer on a hip hop video. I would like to hear the backstory of this, preferences for particular videos, progress made. (laughs) Just give us the whole scoop here. Well, you know, and I shared that with you because based on my work as a leadership consultant and the fact that I talk about presence, not only being present, but, you know, a professional polished presence being a hip hop dancer is kind of a quirky secret desire when I'm usually in front of groups and talking about their impact and their image and how they convey themselves. And so I think it's funny that you started with that, but I wanted to give you the backstory on, you know, why I chose that as sort of my quirky thing, but I can't tell you exactly when it started. I mean, it goes back to the days of MTV, right. And watching the, incredible videos and seeing the dancers. And I've always loved to dance, did it when I was younger in front of the TV and get opportunities to do it. If I'm at a conference and there's some sort of gala and dance and I'm the first one on the dance floor. But uh, I wish I could tell you exactly why that desire is there or where it comes from. I love to dance and I've always thought it would be really cool to be a backup dancer. (laughs) Perfect. Any particular musicians that would be an extra dream come true? Oh, yes. Chris Brown is, I love his music. So he's a combination of hip hop and R&B. And gosh, you know, there's just a couple of them that I really like. And it goes back from, you know, 90s R&B all the way up to current hip hop. Okay. All right. Well, that's a good array. And it's appreciative. (laughs) And so 
Now I want to talk about the main topic uh, du jour, <laughs> which is your expertise when it comes to blind spots. And I think this is such an important topic. And, and I love that you've just zeroed in with a whole book and a whole lynda.com course on it. So could you orient us a little bit to what do you mean by blind spot? Why is it a problem? And look at to set the stage for us. Certainly. Well, a lot of what I know about blind spots comes from my personal experience. You know, I spent a good 15 years in the corporate world and through a lot of observation, a lot of experience and just reflection, it really became clear to me that despite our best efforts, despite amassing credentials or having degrees from the best universities that, you know, there are very sharp people in the business world who aren't going anywhere because they have blind spots and they lack the clarity and the insight to know that they are creating their own hidden hurdles They have their own roadblocks to their success. Some of that I saw in terms of people who managed me, things that I would never do. And then, of course, I had my own hard knocks, things that I knew about myself or discovered about myself that may have inhibited my effectiveness or made me less engaging with others. And so it's both of those things. It's the watching others and then learning about myself where I begin to realize that Blind spots can make a huge difference in your career. Okay, understood. And so you've taken the time to catalog and name a number of these pervasive blind spots. Could you give us maybe a sampling of two or three that you see being the most commonly occurring as well as the most potentially damaging? Sure. And I think, you know, you mentioned my book and my lynda.com course, and there's a distinct distinction between those two. And I think it's worth mentioning. The book I wrote is called You According to Them, Uncovering the Blind Spots that Impact Your Reputation and Career. And it was really for any professional who is working with and through others who may have some things that are holding them back. And the lynda.com course is focused and honed in on leadership blind spots. So There's a distinction between the two. And if you'd like, I can share with you sort of some common blind spots or categories, and then maybe one or two that are more common to preventing leaders from being most successful. Oh, yes, sure thing. Well, I guess I would just like to hear in terms of the damage blind spots do, if we could triage, if you will. Yes. (laughs) You know, the ones that, oh, man, they're taking out a lot of people and they're taking them out good. Yeah, Well, I think one that's pretty common is this idea that I think in my book, I call it, there's no crying in baseball. And it's probably counterintuitive. You're going to think I'm saying that people are too emotional at work. And in fact, that is not what the case is with this particular blind spot. People that have what I call no crying in baseball syndrome is when they actually lack bringing who they are to work. They lack emotion in their in their daily grind. It's all about transactions and a lot less about relations. And I think, you know, those of us who grew up, if you will, in a certain time in the business world, 
we're somewhat taught that you don't bring who you are to work, that you leave your personal business at home, that you come to do a job and then that's it. And what happens in today's society is we spend so much of our time at work. People want to know more about us. They want to know what's behind, you know, our rationale, our thinking. And if you remain completely closed off and one dimensional at work, then people are going to potentially mislabel you as somebody who doesn't care about Mm. others that puts results above anything or anyone else and or that you care more about your professional success than you do the people you work with. So that's a potentially multiplying damaging effect. And it's what I find is it's nine times out of 10 completely unintended. That was not the intent, but that's the belief system that somebody was trained under, brought up in, or believes themselves that, you know, work is a place to do work and nothing more. All right. So could you share with us what are some of the key behaviors that are overlooked or neglected by those suffering from this blind spot? Like where are some of like the little things that they're failing to do that cover the humanity Well, you know, what's funny is I can tell you that as a leader in particular, I had some of this in terms of a belief that I was my to-do list, if you will. Mm. And I would be judged and valued based on my production and on results. And I really saw the chit chat or the connections or the touch points as something that got in the way of doing my to-do list, right? Mm -hmm. It felt inefficient to me. So I, like others, back then I had to rethink that, adjust my belief system to see that actually the more we connect with others, the more rapport we build, the more they understand who we are and what we're about, the more likely we are to get work done with and through them. So whether you're a leader or a colleague, that's true. And so it seems duplicitous, right? And it can almost even sound manipulative. But the more you care about people, the more you open up to them and share, and the more you want to hear about them, the more you will be able to get what you need to get done as a colleague or a leader or a consultant even. Okay. And so then can you share some of the mechanisms by which that translates into the results, the output, the accomplishments occurring? So I guess in some ways, those who love chatting with people, but feel they've got, you know, too much on their plate, this could be music to their ears. So (laughs) convince us, Sarah, how does that really work out in practice? Well, I mean, it is born and steeped in science. I mean, this is behavioral psychology that really tells us that people will give us discretionary effort, right? In other words, they'll go the extra step for people that they know, like, and trust. 
And how does that happen? You don't know, like, and trust somebody because they deliver incredible pivot tables on Excel, (laughs) right? I mean, you begin to know, like, and trust them because you start to build rapport. And you can't build that rapport until you start to plug into each other. You know, the way I like to describe it is, are you an outlet or a power strip? Have you kept so little about yourself or have you played it so close to the vest that people know so little, there's very few ways they can plug in and find commonality mm-hmm. and find what helps them relate to you. If people don't feel they can relate to you, then they're not likely to support you or give you discretionary effort. So those are the results. Okay. Understood. So just there, it's about the discretionary effort because especially in complex organizations, there's a lot of competing demands and you kind of have to choose, okay, who gets the stuff that they've asked for and who doesn't, you know, this week at times when there's just sort of overwhelm running amok, as well as who am I willing to you know stay a little late for or shorten the lunch for or just you know, shut down the email program for a little while in order to give the fuller attention to the task at hand. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So that's great. So a handy blind spot called there's no crying in baseball and some (laughs) solutions are to open it up, to share, to show that you are interested and you care about folks. Any other kind of particular, you know, quick best practices for overcoming this one? You know, again, I think it starts with What's your mindset? What has you believing that doing and taking part in more relational activity at work is inefficient? And, you know, sometimes I have discovered with people that they make the assumption that people don't care. Hmm. I don't share because I'm just assuming that people really don't, they'd be bored by my stories or they really don't care. And again, that was their reason. It wasn't necessarily because they found it inefficient or they didn't like others or, you know, were shy or it's really was sometimes just a matter of, wow, okay. So people do care that I, you know, grew up in the military and I moved to eight different countries before I settled here. You know, yes, absolutely. People want to hear stories. They don't want to hear about data. We get enough of that all day. So that's just a common blind spot with the general population. I would say with leaders in particular, I don't necessarily name them like I did in my book, but I think one of the most common blind spots are the ones that will prevent a leader from having the impact more than anything is lack of impulse control. Okay. Yep. And um, this is about... What do you mean, Sarah? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) This is about not being able to remain calm and posed, for example, if you're challenged in a meeting. Okay. Right? And you've got people that are watching. And that's the reason some of these are more important is because they are the most observable in a leader. Okay. When you are leading, you are center stage. So when you have lack of impulse control... All eyes are on you, right? We are highly impressed with people who can be uber composed in the face of adversity when they're told that their project that they've been working on for weeks has been tabled because subconsciously we know how difficult that is. So we 
assign these people this higher competency level, or as some people like to call it, executive presence, mm-hmm. right? Because it's very hard for us to do. We're under a lot of stress and a lot of pressure. We are navigating a lot of uncertainty. There's no five-year or even one-year planning anymore. So those people who can remain calm, who can recover from setbacks and remain resilient, that's a key in leadership. But that is the first blind spot that will derail a leader. Well, it's intriguing. This impulse control, I think it applies to everyone. Leaders, there's a magnifying glass on it because everyone's looking. But I'm also thinking about, you know, staff level folks, if they receive some feedback or are they defensive in terms of like, well, what do you mean? Right. Or is it, oh, thank you. Could you share an example? So very different replies in terms of the impulse. And so, well, now it seems like there's a distinction to be made here because for the, there's no crying in baseball. It seems like part of the answer is to open up, reveal some more of yourself, some vulnerability and stories and, and how you feel about things. And then lack of impulse control, it's kind of the other side of the coin, which is, well, you don't want to just let her rip in terms of what you think and feel full tilt, unfiltered. Right. So how should we think about that potential distinction or tension? Well, I think it's interesting because... For people who aspire to move ahead in their career, the higher we go, the more the expectation is that we show two sides of the same coin, right? They want leaders to be confident yet humble in the right situation. They want leaders to be decisive yet fair. So in your case, with these two examples, You know, we want people who aspire to leadership to be both relational, transparent, and vulnerable, but also controlled, right? Knowing when it's time to be vulnerable versus when it's time to be controlled. And so I think you'll find that with a lot of these blind spots. It's like anything else. Sometimes it's our strengths taken too far. Sometimes it's just about knowing what circumstances will warrant the pendulum one way or the other. Certainly. And so I'd like to get your perspective. Like, let's just say, you know, you did get some bad news in terms of you've been pouring your heart and soul into something and then it's all scrapped, you know, and it's like, oh, that feels like a waste of dozens of hours of my life has been dropped upon me publicly. (laughs) What's your take in terms of the ideal reaction? It's not probably robotic, like, that is fine, proceed, sir. <laughs> <laughs> right? So what would you say? Well, I think, you know, absolutely appropriate to show a certain level of disappointment. You know, in fact, I think people might be a little skeptical if we didn't show some disappointment. They would wonder, I guess, about how committed we were to the project to begin with if we didn't show some disappointment. I think that's okay. But I think what people are going to watch for is how quickly you can recover, right? Is it something that you will hold on to? You know, if you leave for the day and it didn't set right with you, but you left for the day, you ruminated over it at night, but then you put it in perspective. You were able to get distance between your emotional and your rational mind 
and come to terms with some of the rational reasons that your project may have been tabled and come in the next day with kind of a different sense and not continuing to, you know, reflect and or even expound on the fact that it happened. Again, people are going to observe that. And subconsciously, we know how difficult it is, which is why if you're able to do it, you are seen as somebody who is ready for higher level work mm-hmm. because it's not easy. This stuff isn't easy, but it's about resilience. That right there is about resilience. Okay. Very good. Thank you. Well, now I'd like to maybe zoom out a bit and maybe go meta, if you will. Sure. What are some approaches we should utilize in order to identify our blind spots in the first place or how others are seeing us and whether we can be afflicted by either these two or any number of things that apply to us kind of personally, individually. Sure. I think the first step is really reflection. We are so used to being doers and we don't slow down enough to really reflect on our impact and you know, that may sound kind of, you know, airy fairy, but I think it's really important to think back to either general comments that have been made either personally, professionally about your habits, your quirks, your approach, perhaps those comments were even disguised as humor and they may be worth looking at a little closer. But beyond that, I think in order to get a real sense of what we don't know about ourselves, that's why they call them blind spots, we Mm -hmm. have to ask. We have to ask. And I think the critical thing is how do we do that? How do we do that in a way that gets us rich information and something we can do with? And what I often advise people to do is to come up with a very simple profile. Pick two or three adjectives that you want others to use to describe you. You know, whether it's innovative, whether it's customer-centric, whether it's global-minded. There's all kinds of adjectives, right? This is beyond friendly, genuine, action-oriented. To me, those are bases. Mm-hmm. You got to have those as a basis. Think about next-level adjectives. Think about what you want others to say that it's like to work with you. Do they want people to say, oh, yes, that person knows in meetings when's the right time to push his or her idea and they know when to hold back. Think of some specific ideas. And then once you have this profile of both how you want people to describe you and what they want you to say about how you do your work and the quality of your work, then you can take that to a trusted colleague, a former or current boss that you believe is supportive of your progress and say to them, can you tell me if what I'm doing is either adding or detracting from this profile? All right. That's to me the best way to get feedback and to discover nuances because a lot of times they're nuances. You know, if you opened my book, you wouldn't see a blind spot as the blowhard in the room. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that's just an obvious thing. I like the more subtle blind spots that people aren't necessarily aware of. They're well-meaning, well-intentioned, very smart individuals that just have these subtleties that somebody needs to help them see. Excellent. And so when you talk about this profile, I'm wondering, do you actually sort of have that written up or how do you 
sort of have that conversation in practice? You can. You can do it either way. You can have it written up or you can just kind of mentally have a conversation, uh, be prepared, you know, write a few things down, but mentally know what you want to convey to this person that you want feedback from. What you want to avoid is what people do, which is, so what would you say about me? I mean, what do you think? Mm -hmm. And that's just too broad. They're either going to tell you what you want to hear or they're going to have trouble, you know, windling it down to something that you can do with. These are much more goal-oriented descriptors, which are going to give you much more specific feedback. Oh, I think that is so dead on because when there's a huge open-ended question in terms of, do you have any feedback for me? Or how can I be helpful to you? Sometimes I think, oh, I don't know. That's maybe so many things. Where do I fixate? My mind just sort of starts roving back and forth over our our recent interactions or what I'm up to. And and I have trouble kind of landing on something frequently. So it's nice to give some boundaries, (laughs) some anchoring and context to that. Right. And so you're putting out the profile. You're asking what recent behaviors have contributed to or detracted from that. And it sounds like there's only a few key words then in terms of, you mentioned innovator, customer focused. So this isn't so much a mission statement type uh, operation or a series of a dozen values, but maybe just what we say the sweet spot, two, three, four words or? I would say three or four words. And what would help people come up with those words is look at their industry, look at their company, What is it that their company needs from them to get to the next level? And that helps you, right? And that's why I bring up the word innovative. You know, companies right now, they're looking for design thinkers. They're looking for people who can connect seemingly disconnected things. They are looking for, we've already talked about it, people who are uber resilient. That will help you, right? And then combine that with what you really want in terms of for yourself, depending on what position you want, not only what the company needs from you, but what is it that a next level position would demand of you? And how do you want to come across, for example, as a leader? You know, some people are, they want different things. They want to have a lasting impact. They want to grow others. They want to be one that's the go-to person for strategy. So it's a combination of what is it that, your company and your industry demands and what is it that you want for yourself that will help you come up with your words okay excellent and so that's a great approach to accelerating that closing of the gap there in the blind spots or even growing into that whole direction that you're after do you have any other top best practices for making that happen well i think that sometimes people ask me okay so what if i'm aware of the blind spot And I'm not sure the quickest way to close that blind spot. Um, I always use a silly kind of analogy. Let's say, for example, that you find out that people see you as having very low energy. And, you know, that transfers to all kinds of things, perhaps being not passionate about what you do or not taking it serious enough. Right. So people want immediate results. If they discover that they want to close that gap. You know, I'm not going to advise them to go out at lunch and drink five Red Bulls. (laughs) You know, one, they'll come back and people will wonder what's wrong. It's insincere. And to some degree, 
it's counter to who they are, right? It's not about changing who you are. It's just simply about making subtle shifts to better influence and impact other people, right? Mm -hmm. There are things that I learned about myself early on in my career. One is that I was always very serious, very focused, which is why people find it funny that I want to be a backup dancer in a hip hop video. (laughs) You know, those two things just don't line up. But I learned that very early on and I learned it from somebody making kind of an off comment to me. To this day, I know I'm wired that way. I mean, if you saw me in the grocery store, I am still focused on my bananas, right? Mm -hmm. And it's just who I am. But I'm much more conscious now. So I work in little ways to take myself less serious and be less serious because I see the impact it has and that it's more attractive to others. So the other way that you can do this is simply tell people is if you have a group of colleagues and you're working on something, sometimes the best way to say to those you're working with is, hey, you know, I've discovered I have a little bit of a blind spot or an area that I think I want to be more effective in. And so I'm asking for your patience, something that I'm going to work on. I'm looking at some development ideas now. If you have any, great. But in the interim, I just want you to know that. Well, you would be amazed at how responsive people are to your graciousness and your vulnerability. And they go out of their way to try to give you ideas on how to close the gap in whatever nuance or blind spot you're dealing with. Mm, That's powerful. Certainly that level of vulnerability and that honesty is powerful. And I've always loved it when I'm working for someone and we sort of talk about our, I share my personal development goals and then someone who is more senior leading me. So, okay, great. Thank you. Oh, here's what I'm working on. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Thank you. It it just sort of opens up the whole relationship and it's powerful. Yeah. The only other thing I would say too, is I think that people would be surprised to learn that there are a whole host of resources that are available to everybody. I think the, the more I talk to leaders and success-oriented professionals, they seem to think that it's, you know, getting a success or an executive coach that has all the answers to development suggestions. But really, those answers are out there. And the same books that some of the executive coaches use are actually available to anyone. There's two in particular that I can think of. One is called for your improvement. Oh yeah, the textbook. And it's Tell it. huge. It. It's huge. And it's full of development suggestions. And then there's one also called, I think it's called the Executive Handbook, but it's not just for executives. It too categorizes different areas. You know, maybe it's sure, some of them are more elevated, like maybe your weakness or area is in strategic thinking. But it'll have a host of development suggestions, either on-the-job suggestions or simple tasks that you can do or resources that you can access. So I'm a big proponent of do-it-yourself improvement. Oh, that's so good. And fun fact, the birth of this podcast began with a spin-through for your improvement 
references in terms of wow. all the books they recommended. And so it's like, all right. Excellent. They're citing about 1,200 books as sources for universal skills. Let's put that all into a spreadsheet and find some of these authors and invite away. And so that was sort of a healthy component of episodes 10 through 80. <laughs> oh, that is great. Yeah. Getting off the ground there because it's like, yeah, you name a skill here and it's something that applies to most people. Absolutely. Yeah. No. And then this podcast itself, if people listen to it again, it's accessible. It's ways you can tap into and learn about how to better yourself and how to make subtle changes that can make a big difference. Mm -hmm. Now, Sarah, I'm going to ask such a dorky question, yes. but I'm going to go here since you're an enthusiast. Now, For Your Improvement has been through several versions, and one of the later ones has 38 categories of competencies, whereas previous versions have a bigger number. Right. How do you like it segmented? I like the collapse of down to 38. It gets overwhelming. I think, you know, that could be another reason people shy away from it. And I think if you make this too difficult, you know, if I've got to close one eye and turn upside down in order to figure <laughs> the, the book out, no, thank you. Again, we're just too busy. Yeah. You give somebody a more of a dashboard, you know, gosh, if they really wanted to do something good, they would turn those 38 into a dashboard of some sort. And then it would really be consumed. So I like the smaller version myself. All right, cool. Well, tell me, is there anything you want to share before we shift gears and talk about some of your favorite things? I think that's it. I think the only other thing that I think I would remiss if I didn't cover or reveal is that getting feedback is not easy. Mm -hmm. And I personally know what that's like. I mentioned earlier getting feedback kind of disguised as humor, but I also, as a leader, was put through a 360 degree assessment. If your listeners know what that is, you know, that's when your colleagues, your direct reports and your boss all in an anonymous report answer a series of questions on some competencies as a leader, as communication. And, you know, I didn't get bad results, but I, it was still eye opening. And, you know, there's a place for people to write comments anonymously and, you know, what we do, we can have 10 great comments, but if we have one negative, we're going to focus on that negative, aren't we? Right. And then as a speaker, in other words, it has not left me. I am constantly getting feedback and I wish I could tell you that I've learned to not let it affect me, but that in and of itself is a skill to take the feedback and be able to be as resilient with that as you were being told you're not on a project and try to put distance between your emotional reaction and then think about what can I learn from it and what can I do differently or better? That is a task all in of itself. Oh, very good. Thank you, Sarah. Sure. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? <laughs> well, it's funny. I, I've got several, but I think there's one that probably makes sense based on what I just said. And that was, and I can't even attribute to it. I read it somewhere, but it is to take things purposefully, not personally. And I think that's just a good moniker and one that helps in this process of constantly growing and evolution of where we want to go. Okay. And how about a favorite study or experiment or a bit of research? 
Yeah, I think one of my favorite, again, because it's where I live and it's, I'm always talking about how we see ourselves versus how others see us is one that was called the better than average effect. And the phenomenon in that study is referred to as a self-serving bias, where essentially most people have almost an unwarranted optimism in relation to their own behavior. Mm-hmm. And pretty consistently, the study showed that people see themselves as better at anything, better drivers than they are, better at writing than they are, better at communicating or interpersonal relationships as they are. And that's called the self-serving bias. So we start from that place, which is why I think blind spots, you know, really flourish (laughs) because we already start from that self-serving bias. Oh, that makes sense. Thank you. Sure. And could you also share a favorite tool of something you use frequently? Favorite tool? You know, I got to tell you, the thing I tend to go to mostly is my application. There's several of them. It's called Tiny Scanner right? Where you can take your phone and just take a photo of a document and it turns it into a PDF. And it doesn't matter where I am, if I'm at the airport or anywhere else, it's a perfect solution for me because I'm constantly having to send documents back and forth. So that and DocuSign or electronic signatures, I think are my go-tos. Oh, excellent. Thank you. And how about a favorite habit, a personal practice of yours? Well, I don't know that I would call it a habit as much as a, well, practice, absolutely. I am a yoga person and I try to do yoga at least every other day and or walk. And I found that uh, yoga has really been helpful for mindfulness and intentionality and thinking both head and heart at the same time. Thank you. And how about a particular nugget or articulation of your message that you share that tends to really resonate with folks that gets them nodding their heads, they're taking notes. What would be a favorite Sarah original? The one I tend to come back to is this idea of taking full responsibility for the experiences you give others. And the end of that is because that's how they'll judge you. They will judge you based on a combination of experiences that you give them, just like customers judge companies. All right. And Sarah, if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? My website would be great. Uh, Sarah Canaday, and there's no H on that Sarah. SarahCanaday.com. I'm also on LinkedIn. I'm an author on lynda.com and LinkedIn Learning and would be happy to connect with any of your listeners through any of those means. Oh, excellent. And do you have a final parting call to action or challenge for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? I guess I would say think in terms of matching your intentions with your impact. And, you know, move from being a doer to a driver. Think about being as influential as you are informed and try to be as much of a coach and developer of others in the process. Oh, perfect. Thank you. Well, Sarah, this has been so much fun. Thank you for taking the time and good luck in identifying and overcoming any blind (laughs) spots in your world and all those you serve. It's a work in progress for all of us, but I appreciate being here and uh, thank you for having me. 
I loved the way Sarah so simply explained the concept of discretionary effort there in terms of it's just that simple. When you got too much to do, as most professionals do, and you got to choose who you're going to help, you're going to help the one you like, the one that you've got a bit of a relationship with. And thusly, it is to your benefit to invest in those relationships. And so it seems so simple, but I think often it's easy to forget in the grind and the hustle and bustle of what needs to get out the door now, 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 that that's really a priority that will reap benefits and rewards from that investment to come. So again, if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we reference here, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep175. I also encourage you, if you haven't already, push the subscribe button so you will hear from folks like our next guest. It's Bryce Hoffman. He is a journalist who infiltrated some military training all on the up and up, all on the up and up. And in so doing, learned the red teaming approaches to thinking critically in advance and avoiding blowups, mishaps, terrible mistakes, adding a little bit of rigor to the thinking decision-making process and planning things out quite nicely. So I found it super handy. I think you will too. I hope to catch you there and peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 